Hey there, I'm Christine Zernheld. AKA Shep. And it is officially Marketing a Talk. On these special episodes, we take a break from just reading the news and take a deeper look at a specific digital marketing topic. Just like our famous Friday news shows, you'll be able to catch this episode on your favorite podcast player or at youtube.marketingoclock.com and get ready to talk shop till you drop because today we're talking about Google's smart shopping campaigns. So naturally we are joined by some really smart guests. First, someone you may know, digital marketing manager at Cypress North, Cole Soulwish is here. Hi, Cole. Hey, everyone. Thank you for having me today. Thanks for being here. And we're also joined by owner of Zato Marketing and author of Ponderings of a PPC Professional, the one and only PPC Kirk, Kirk Williams. Hi, Kirk. Hey, thanks for having me as well. Thanks for being here. And last but not least, please welcome digital marketing consultant at That Pam Chick, host of the Not Bad Advice podcast, reigning queen of spice, Pamela Lund. Hi, Pam. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for being here. So let's get right into it. Cole, let's start with a quick overview of what Google smart shopping campaigns are. Can you give us some background for people who may not be familiar? Yeah. So smart shopping campaigns are really interesting because at their core, they are still a shopping campaign. So they're going to work off of that feed that you set through Merchant Center, and you're going to set up do your campaigns the same way you're going to filter your products the same way with your different, you know, custom labels and your different um, product types. And you're still going to see ads show in a carousel at the top of search results and in the shopping tab. But, and this is a huge but here, the major difference is that they run on all Google networks. So they're going to run on search. They're going to run on a display. They're going to run on YouTube and they're going to run on Gmail. So what Google is really doing with these campaign types is leveraging the entire Google ecosystem to, you know, to basically prospect for users or market to users uh, and, and drive conversions and conversion value for your clients and for your, your brands. So, you know, the biggest piece too is that they are fully automated. So, you know, all the bidding is automated. There's, there's really only one bid type and you can set a, a return ad spend target. Um, but the dynamic is create, the creative is dynamic. So you have, uh, you know, video and you have images that you're allowed to use. So there's really a lot that is different here, setting it apart from standard shopping campaigns. And, you know, they're, they're really powerful weapons if used the right way. And we're going to get into that in a little bit here. Awesome. Yeah. You almost went Facebook on us with the dynamic creative. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm here's the million dollar questions. Are smart shopping campaigns smart? (laughs) Well, it depends on the day that you ask me. (laughs) Um, I think that uh, in general, they can be smart. I think it's a terrible name because it sets them up for failure, but I kind (laughs) of think of them like kids, you know, with any technology, they're only as smart as the data you give them. And you have to have a lot of money to get a lot of data to make them work well. And so a lot of small businesses, uh, they're not very smart for a lot of small businesses. Yeah. And anytime you say smart with anything with Google ads, I get a little nervous. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. Smart just means no control. (laughs) What do you think, Kirk? Are they smart or are they dumb somewhere in between? Uh, I probably would parrot what the others have said. Um, It's a frustrating campaign type for me because I want to hate it. And then a lot of times it works for us, uh, especially if we kind of figure out ways to utilize things with custom labels and stuff like that. Um, So I think in in terms of all of this, all of the entities that Google has ever put the word smart in front of. Um, This probably is the least terrible, maybe we'll call it that. What a compliment. (laughs) 
Cam, what makes a product a good fit for a smart shopping campaign? When should you use these over a regular shopping campaign? Well, I find that in general, because smart shopping does include a lot of retargeting and a lot of display, it works really well for brands that already have a really strong audience or that have a really great brand recognition and who are doing a lot of top of funnel advertising. If you're relying on smart shopping to be your top of funnel, or if you don't have a lot of retargeting, you tend to not see as great of results as you would with um, other campaign types. And I really find that unless you are um, selling something that is unique that people can only get from you, or if you're not the market leader, it is really hard to make shopping um, in general really work for you. You have to be um, in a market that's already existing. It's really hard to create a market with shopping that's really um, more ideal for social ads. So um, I tend to run smart shopping and regular shopping at the same time for both clients and segment out products that uh, do well in smart shopping, things that have, you know, really high conversion rates or have really high retargeting audiences, and then um, layer in uh, regular shopping for all of the other products or um, seasonal ones or things that we want to capture any additional search traffic that is being uh, overshadowed by all of the display traffic. Awesome. I definitely say that's some not bad advice there. Kirk, <laughs> what do you think? Are there any products that you shouldn't use this for? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I have any, um, specific products that I would point to one way or the other. Uh, we, we've found that it surprises us. And so one of the things I suggest we do similar to, to Pam, we run a hybrid approach um, where we like to try both standard and smart. I do believe at some point in the future, Google's gonna be transitioning to smart um, shopping. So some of that even is just a, a personal, um, just kind of a personal make sure that, you know, we survive that transition by at least having experience and kind of thinking it through before that happens. Um, but we do at times then see it run really well. And then sometimes it really surprises us in terms of the products that we think, ah, you know, this is like a B2B e-commerce product. There's no way it's going to work. And then like it does really well. And then we'll, we'll throw it on some other products where there seems to be a lot of conversion data and not, and, uh, it doesn't quite do as well as we would think. Um, so, you know, one, one thing on kind of an industry, maybe client by client basis is, um, you know, both Pam and Cole have noted the importance of data, you know, having what you are inputting into any automated system is just absolutely crucial, right? So smart shopping is especially important. And uh, so what we have found is because we also then don't get great data output from us, which I imagine is part of what we'll talk about. Um, if someone is really new to e-commerce, so like you're just starting in Google ads, there might, there might be some, some reasons that you would want to start out definitely leaning primarily into standard in order to start building those, that, that data within your account to give Google better, um, you know, to give Google better data so that their machine can start to, um, can actually start to optimize for that well, right? And then also you're getting some initial data output from those standard shopping campaigns as well in the beginning when your brand is new and you're trying to figure out what is out there in terms of competitive landscape and search terms and stuff like that. You're just not gonna get that from smart shopping. So that's one thing I'll usually tell someone is if they are just starting out, completely new account, new brand, you probably don't wanna to lean too heavily into smart shopping. Great. Cole, what do you think? Are there any red flags for products that would just never work for smart shopping? Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's it's necessarily one specific product, but I would say it's it's a category of products that might not sell online. And you know that sounds like a silly thing to say because we're talking about e-commerce, we're talking about sales online. But 
you know, there's an example that we have. We have a client that sells, uh, you know, big industrial products, and some of those products are six, seven, eight thousand dollars. And you know, those products just aren't going to sell online. There's there's max on credit cards. There's you know budgetary approvals that are needed. So some of these products are coming in offline through phone sales. And you know, the difficulty with smart shopping is, you know, these products a um, aren't feeding data back into the system. So smart shopping is going to struggle a bit. And then B, you can't really uh, you can't really guarantee any impression share when you're using smart shopping. So you know, on these products that our client is really, really uh, keen on on maximizing the impression share and making sure that we're always showing up for some of these products, it's just a no go for smart shopping. So you know, standard campaign, you can bid really high and you can make sure that you're showing up in that carousel for for you know searches that should matter for that product, but um, but yeah, it's difficult with smart shopping. Mm-hmm. And I want to circle back to something that Kirk said quickly, cause you talked about a B2B example where it surprised you how well it worked. Do you guys have any examples of verticals that worked poorly and that surprised you? I'll start with Kirk. Um, I don't, I don't know if I have specific verticals yet that I would say really are horrible. Um, so we're kind of still testing that out. One, one thing I will note on the flip side, on that other side um, which, you know, to Cole's point, to Cole's concern, especially when you do have products, because we actually we actually run quite a few B2B e-commerce clients. Um, when you do have that, the importance of moving beyond just solely tracking that ultimate final conversion is really, really essential, right? You and that that actually goes for any any B2B. And and I'm and I'm sure you all do this as well. Um, so when you are when you have data where you just don't get much data in fed back into the machine until that that final purchase when it could have been like nine to 24 months that you've had them in the sales process it is really crucial to identify um, key points along the way that you can even track some semblance of value to that then you can start feeding back into into the machine so you're basically giving google a lot more information for their algorithms to latch on to kind of kind of indicating these are the kind of people we're interested in and not just waiting around for like you know that that one um, few thousand dollar purchase that you know might take might take a year to get to so i think that's really really crucial in terms of managing that sort of thing And Kirk, I'm coming back to you with my next question, but anyone can jump in because I want to spend some time talking about how you actually set these up to get us started. How many products do you typically include in a campaign? Does it depend on the type of product or the type of website you have? Yeah, we don't have, um, we don't have like a specific number that we think about when we're thinking about organizing shopping um, campaigns. We're, We're more kind of thinking again in terms of like inputs, right? in terms of feeding the machine, feeding the beast. Um, and so like, as we think through, well, there's a couple of things. There's the inputs. So making sure there's enough conversion data, making sure that in some ways, like the audience match is is good. I think that's really important. If, if Google can't really tell, hey, these products would go well with certain audiences, they're gonna struggle to really match those up uh, to your feed. So I think that's really crucial. Um, but so you have kind of the input thing. And then also there's, there's the ad part, the creative part of smart shopping as well. That's, that's really crucial. And so when we kind of think through, okay, what products are we going to actually put into a smart shopping campaign? We're kind of thinking of all of that. And it's all kind of this congealed whole, right? Who is the audience? Uh, what are these products? How would they be shown in this ad? How would we like create the creative around that? Does it have enough conversion data to help Google? And then we're kind of like, choosing products based on that. So 
I, I don't know if that helps, but that's kind of how we think about it. Yeah, I would agree with Kirk on that point because um, one thing that I do when I start with a client that has a large product catalog, I look at their highest conversion rate, highest return on ad spend products and potentially start with those first in smart shopping and don't add in the you know more fringe products or the lower conversion rate products. So we can start with the best data, the highest chance of success. And then you also have to consider your entire funnel. So if you're doing a ton of social advertising around a certain product type or a certain group of products, you want to make sure that that is being followed up by your smart shopping campaign or else you're missing out on that retargeting opportunity. So it's not just about what the smart shopping campaign is doing. It's what your entire funnel is doing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Cole, can you use these in an account with regular, or as I want to call them dumb shopping campaigns? I know we've talked about this a little bit, but how do you handle that? Yes, you can absolutely use both at the same time, but there is one major consideration and that is sort of this idea of priorities. So in standard campaigns, there are three priority levels. There's low, medium, and high. And that is sort of how you would set up like a, a standard uh, filtered system for standard campaigns as you would have one campaign high, one low, um, and all of that. But smart shopping campaigns are the ultimate priority. So when you're thinking about running both in the account, smart shopping campaigns will really take up you know, the majority of that impression share and those clicks and that data coming through in the account. So if you're thinking about two campaigns, one standard, one, one shop, smart shopping, that smart shopping campaign is going to take over all of that product data. So um, with that said, you know, there's this idea of, of, you know, this cleanup role that standard campaigns can play when you're running smart shopping. So, you know, what you can do is you can say, hey, smart shopping, do what you're phenomenal at doing, go prospect, go remarket, bring people into the funnel, bring people into the site. And then you set up your, your standard campaign, your standard shopping campaign to be a, you know, a campaign that just plays cleanup. It's, it's, it has a higher conversion rate, has uh, uh, likely better returns on your ad spend. And something that no one is really talking about, and I don't see much of this online, is you can actually remove brand keywords from a smart shopping campaign. So we can't do it as PPC practitioners, but we can contact our Google reps and we can say, hey, I got a list of keywords that I want you to remove for me. And you can actually see this in Google ads editor. You can look and you can see the negatives are actually there. So you can guarantee that the negatives are gone. So then what we like to do a lot of the times is we say, hey, smart shopping, no brand for you, um, standard shopping, you know, let's, let's bring in the brand terms and, and get some conversions and, and clean up, you know, clean up after smart shopping has done all of the he hard, heavy lifting for us. Great. So let's talk optimization. Cole, how do you get started with sh smart shopping? Walk us through how to get a campaign off the ground. Yeah. So I would say that we kind of touched upon this a little bit already, but you know, generally I start to, I start with where the data points. So you know, from our experience and my experience with smart shopping, it's going to work the best with, you know, products that have a lot of conversion data, a lot of uh, click data that has come through. So generally, you know, I start there and I just sit down and I think about what products for, you know, your, your particular client or your brand are going to make sense for smart shopping. So once you get there, then you just think about how you would filter that. So, you know, if a certain product is within custom labels, you think about how, you know, how you're going to set up your, your different uh, uh, segmentation that way. And then, you know, setting up the campaign is actually fairly easy and, and straightforward. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really just segmenting out your products, then you're going in and adding that creative. So again, we've talked about the, uh, the, the fact that there's video and the fact that there's images. So you just really optimize that creative for the products. And then you, you know, pop, pop in all of your different uh, headlines and descriptions. And then from there, there's really only a few settings that are left. So um, it's budget and it's, it's return on ad spend uh, target. So 
generally what we do just to sort of hedge against the fact that it might not work for smart shopping is we set a budget that's on the lower end. So, you know, anywhere from 300 to 600 in that range, just to be a little bit cautious. Uh, and then what we do is we actually, I tend to not use a return on ad spend target. And so what it will do by default is maximize conversion value. And the reason that I tend to not use a target is because you could potentially be capping that campaign from the start. So, you know, what we've seen is, is the campaign spends a lot quicker. It pulls data into the account a lot quicker when you're not using a, a return on ad spend target. So, you know, it's just a little tip to, to get it spending quicker. Mm -hmm. And Pam, Cole talked, touched on this a little bit there, but talk to us about creative because there's not much you can do to optimize anything, but what do you do to optimize creative where you can in smart shopping? Yeah, you know, I think that creative and smart shopping actually gets overlooked quite a bit. It's really easy to just drop an image in there and then forget about it. But it is an opportunity for optimization and we have to take all of the opportunities that we do have. So there's a few things that I like to test. If you have colorful products, I work with a, sh a shoe company and they have really colorful shoes. So we do a product shot with like a, a line of their shoes. So it's really eye-catching. You can al also test images that are really brand heavy. So getting that brand awareness, you know, um, getting their brand name in there so that when people see it, they recognize, oh, this is a brand that I like. Um, and also when you're doing sales, make sure you update that image with something that has the offer in there to um, bring people back to purchase or to let them know that there's a sale going on. So don't forget about the image yeah. in, in Smart Shopping. It's definitely an opportunity. Great. Kirk, you only really have two levers to control spend, as Cole just mentioned. Can you talk us through optimizing budget and ROAS for Smart Shopping? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think on face value, that's that's accurate. There are two levers. I think as we've talked though, there are in, there there are other ways of thinking about it in terms of the inputs and controlling those, and that all assists with this, right? Um, and so, in some ways, it's not just about your budgets and your target ROAS, and then you walk away saying, "Well, yeah." Um, and I don't think anyone else here is saying that. I think there are other great optimization things as well. But I think it is good to get into the habit of thinking not just simply, "Ah, eh, these are the only two buttons I can push," and walking away, but also trying to think through more and more, like, "How do I optimize those inputs? How am I? How can I be testing different feed elements? How can I be, you know, as I noted before, kind of rethinking how to." how to communicate uh, like directional value into the machine as well, I think is really important. Um, on, in terms of like budget and ROAS, those, those two targets, so the, yeah, I agree, those are like the key ways, right? Um, they're, they're very annoying in my opinion because uh, I think that they're like, like think like fuzzy directional math, not necessarily well, I'm setting a 300% ROAS and so it's going to hit a 300% ROAS. Um, sometimes it does, you know, accounts we have, maybe there's, where there's just a ton of data, a lot of sales, you know, you do look over the 30, that 30 day, 60 day time frame, whatever it is. And, you know, it is, it is hitting your ROAS, which is great. Um, especially when you're first starting out, especially when you're trying to build, um, you know, we do exactly what Cole does. We, we try to keep that ROAS target off, get it into the learning stage quickly, let the machine learn as fast as possible. Um, and then we try to kind of adjust what I've found is like balancing the budget and the ROAS is kind of key and not, not making, not making incremental changes above like 10 to 20%, I think is really key as well. Um, like if you have a ROAS of 250 and you're like, eh, let's see what we can do. We need to get profitable. Let's jump this up to 600. You're, 
it's not just that the machine is saying, ah, now we need to have a 600 ROAS. It's almost like the machine, like, it like fizzes out, you know, it, it almost like can't think and function right when, with like massive changes I've, I've seen. Um, so like, let's say you want to shift from a 250 to a 350 ROAS target. My recommendation is to do that like over the span of seven to 14 days, um, incrementally give it a few days of breathing room, like, like help it's, it's, it's like a little toddler where you're like, come on, you can do it. Like, come along, we'll help you. <laughs> um, and, and so like that, I think that's important to call out. And then the one other thing I'll note, so this is like kind of a warning, I guess I've, I've sat in a smart shopping thing from Google and they have said, basically this is very googly, um, ignore, ignore your budgets. They're kind of basically what they've communicated to us with smart shopping specifically is using your ROAS target more as like helping manage your budget, right? Um, And so in some ways like cranking up your budgets really high and then using your ROAS target to adjust those things so you kind of hit your goal. Like they've explicitly said that. Um, And I even asked them about that, right? Because just as a reminder, if you've been told that, um, we recently took over an account and we, they had a thousand dollar a day, budget that they wanted to hit and they had their smart shopping campaign set to $20,000 a day budgets. Um, and I was like, just, you know, like Google can like legally spend up to double this. So you could like walk in tomorrow and just on this campaign, you've spent $40,000 and there's literally nothing you can do about so that. Crazy. <laughs> so just, just kind of like watch that stuff, be, be a little careful not to necessarily jack those budgets up too, too hard and kind of use those two together to hit your targets directionally. Awesome. You could turn that into a great TikTok song. You guys, <laughs> Kirk you is single-handedly making PPC TikTok a thing. If you didn't know, <laughs> I have all of 47 followers. It's completely <laughs> viral. It's 47 more than me. So yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to move on to talk about reporting or lack thereof. Pam, can you give us a reality check here? What data do we have and what data don't we have? And does that mean that we shouldn't use this for certain products or certain clients? Sure. So we're definitely missing a lot of the data that we got used to having. A lot of the segmenting options, you know, knowing where the traffic was coming from, what the keywords were, all of that kind of stuff. Um, But I think people forget that you can look in Google Analytics for a lot of the missing data. So you can find a lot of your demographic data and, um, you know, just a lot of the user data that you're missing from smart smart shopping, you can segment that out in analytics and really dig into what that traffic is like. So don't forget about analytics when you're looking for data. Um, The other thing is I think a lot of times people will set up a smart shopping campaign and just like add all products and like never consider what individual products are doing in the shopping campaign. So as long as you set it up so that you have each product you know, added individually the way you have it segmented out in the campaign structure, you can see which can, which products are getting a lot of traffic, which ones are converting, which ones aren't, and use that data to um, to optimize your campaign so that only the best performing products are included in smart shopping. Cole, can you talk to us a bit about what data we do actually have? You talk about this in your recent video on Cypress North's website, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you do get a fair amount of standard reporting that we're kind of used to seeing. So there are things that are missing, like keywords. We're not seeing any keywords in search term data, but there's impressions, there's clicks, there's cost per conversion, there's return ad spend, and you can segment these things by you know device, new versus returning customer, um, that kind of thing. So there are some there are some you know directionally uh, available 
um, you know, metrics that we can use to see what's kind of going on. But, but my video, I sort of tried to focus on, you know, some custom report building and some, some exploratory digging that I did. So it was uh, just a rainy COVID Sunday, which, you know, kind of tells you where I was at during COVID. Um, but I was just spending about two hours. I was just digging in, building reports, you know, adding dimensions or subtracting dimensions, adding metrics, subtracting metrics, all of that. And I actually found some really interesting uh, uh, data that was coming through. So the favorite one, my favorite one that I found was actually Google's retail categories, which is really interesting. So this is something that exists for all the other campaigns. You can pull it for other campaigns. But um, what basically it is, is Google is trying to categorize search terms that users are using to, to, you know, to find products and to, to find different sites. So um, what was most surprising to me is in for one of my clients and one of my campaigns that I was running in smart shopping, I was like almost 90% perfectly matched, you know, Google's retail category to the product that was advertising that campaign. So for me, you know, it's, it's again, it's you're trusting Google, you're trusting that these retail categories are realistic. But for me, it was just kind of like a hmm, you know, that's pretty interesting. That makes me feel a little bit more confident about running this particular campaign. So that's just one of the little tidbits that I found. There's some other ones, um, you know, you can, you know, in, in the video, I talk about seeing if there's actually YouTube impressions showing. Um, I was looking at that breakdown versus new, new versus returning customers. You can actually get some demographic data out of custom reports too. So there's a lot of great stuff in there and, and we can definitely link it in the show notes and you can find it on Twitter. I've, I've sent it out a bunch of times at this point. So <laughs> it's out there. Kirk, any other tips for pulling data out of the black box? Uh, yeah, a, a couple. Um, actually, one, ironically, I was in preparing in, pre in preparing for the show. I went and looked, and either I was mistaken in how we could do it before, but I don't think I was. I think Google changed it on us already. Um, someone on LinkedIn, and I apologize because I forgot who you were out there, so know that you're an unsung hero and amazing. <laughs> um, someone shared, like, hey, in the conversion tab within within Google and assisted conversions, you could identify campaigns and networks. Um, and like it actually showed you. So you could you could filter by smart shopping and you could see like uh, display and that sort of thing. And I, I just I went in there um, and it's just says cross network now. And and I am almost positive that I remember that it didn't say yeah. that before. So Cole went through that on. recently, right? Dog on it. <laughs> that was, ex that was one of the yeah. ones I was going to include in my <laughs> video and it was Harpal Singh who had originally found it. Um, Thank you. Good work. Yep. And he, yeah. So I had messaged him and I saw if I was asking if it, if it had changed and he confirmed that one of his Google reps said that that was taken away from us, unfortunately. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, it is uh, now cross network, but that was, that was it all away. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to it have was like, nice to we'll see that for a bit. Yeah, we'll have to have like a secret way of sharing tips and tricks where we leave platform people out of it or something. Well, we've got marketing um, o'clock discord. <laughs> Community.marketingoclock.com. Join us. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay. uh, yeah, I, I, go I have a couple of other just uh, ones to add on. Um, free clicks is an interesting uh, report that you can find um, in is actually one of the, the reports provided already within your ads interface. Free clicks is somewhat interesting because it does show you uh, video interactions, which is very, very interesting to me. And I'm still even trying to kind of think through exactly what that means and how to, uh, you know, how to think through that. But it does show us at, at some level, like uh, that people are observing those videos. There's some, there's gonna be some sort of brand awareness value there. Um, 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little interesting, like dig in there and just kind of see just, just more data on, on this, on this black box. Um, and then Google analytics, we do like keeping a little bit of an eye on new versus returning just to see how smart shopping is doing in terms of prospecting remarketing with of course the huge caveat that more and more and more uh, it, that, you know, that report has already been a little bit um, sketchy just because of uh, different, you know, cookies dropping, things like that. I just think with, especially with iOS 14.5 stuff going on more and more like that report might just have to be thrown out the window because you can't really determine if someone is actually new or returning um, as, as they're not, they're unable to be tracked throughout, but it does give you at least some, some look at seeing where smart shopping is in terms of who they're actually targeting to within what they can track. Okay, so now that we've covered reporting, I want to ask each of you if you have any smart shopping tips, tricks, or anything that might be worth a test. So Kirk, I'll start with you. As a PPC professional, do you have any ponderings here? And reminder, everyone, you can get Kirk's book, Ponderings of a PPC Professional at zetomarketing.com. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think I've shared this one before. So if you've heard this, I apologize. But uh, I, I really enjoy grabbing zero-click products and giving them fresh life in a smart shopping campaign. So you can uh, do that very easily within your Google Merchant Center account, just determine like what products basically are not getting the, the, the light of day. Because what Google's doing is they're taking your budget and your ROAS targets, and they're kind of taking all of that. They're taking the searches, the feed data, and they're saying, yeah, for the most part, these are the products we think can work. And a lot of times, sure, they're getting it right. But then there are other products that maybe could work that just aren't kind of getting into the algorithm. Um, and so we'll, we'll test that with the zero click thing and we'll, we'll often see it work fairly well. Although um, you do kind of have to be up on that. You want to be kind of maneuvering products around in there. Sometimes you'll have to re re kind of look through those products. Um, it might cannibalize a little bit, just, just something to watch, something to try, kind of see if you can work on growing some incrementality there with, with products that Google doesn't normally look at. Awesome. What about you, Pam? Any tips, tricks, or tests to share? Yeah. So to piggyback on what Kirk just said, um, if you have a client that has maybe like really uh, disparate uh, groups of products that like would appeal to different audiences entirely, sometimes it can work to set up one campaign for this group and another for the other group so that you're pushing different traffic into each. Um, if you don't do that, you'll find that, you know, all of the products in one group tend to get all of the traffic and the other ones start to fall off. And you might also have different goals for those. So setting those up separately, even though Google will tell you if you have a smart shopping campaign, you should only have one. That's not necessarily the case for all clients. Um, the other thing is it, at some level, you just kind of have to give in to our technology overlords and accept the, the AI here, you know, just um, stop fighting it. If you're finding that you're like constantly beating your head against the wall, trying to get it to work and you're like doing little tiny product segments and like really trying to maneuver, maybe just like loosen up a little bit and just set up a campaign and let it run and see what happens. Awesome. Cole, anything to add? Yeah, I would say test video. Uh, that is something that is hugely powerful here uh, with smart shopping. And it's it's totally sets it apart from standard shopping. You know, how amazing is it that you can create a, a beautiful brand video, a beautiful product video that runs essentially for, for free or close to free? Like, you know, video campaigns, YouTube campaigns are typically pretty pricey to run. And even if you're just, even if you're driving that CPV bid really down, um, you know, it is just an amazing way, I think, to to add to 
you know, add into that brand story that you're trying to build with smart shopping, because again, it's not just demand generate demand capture. It's really sort of driving some of this demand generation where, you know, you're going out there and you're prospecting, you're showing people what your product is and you're showing people, you know, what you have to offer. So, you know, if you could get a video that is specific to your product, whether it's, you know, hitting the specific product color or, you know, showing a, a lifestyle version of this product, like that is something that I've seen people talk about creatively with these campaigns is including lifestyle shots in your imagery. So, you know, video is an amazing place to actually put that product out into the world and show how people utilize it. So, you know, that is something that we, we practice with a lot here and we like to test. Awesome. Well, our time is almost up here. I can't believe it, but I want you guys to leave our listeners with some parting words for any advertisers who are considering smart shopping for the first time. I'll start with you, Pam. If you're just starting out with smart shopping, make sure that your product data is really solid. That's going to be a huge, huge part of how successful you are with shopping. And um, it's it might not work. So be prepared for that. You've got to test and you got to um, give the system good data and see what happens. Anything to add, Cole? Yeah, I would just really reinforce what I talked about with those brand negatives. You know, there's no better way to test smart shopping and really push the limits of smart shopping um, than pulling out that brand. Because if it if it can't hit return on ad spend targets with without the brand, then you know you're you, there's a it just kind of goes to show that for you in that specific scenario and those products that there's a huge reliance on that brand awareness uh, and you know remarketing I'd imagine too. So you know, so definitely lean into that. And again, your Google your Google reps can remove brand negatives. So definitely give that a shot. Great, Kirk. Any parting thoughts? Uh, I think organize your products well. So really think that through in terms of some of the things I noted from from before. Thinking through that ad creative. Um, thinking through the audiences, potential audiences that would purchase this group of products and are you helping the machine kind of find those better? Um, so organize them well. And then also the flip side of that, like don't be scared to reorganize um, in, in big ways. I've, I've found that like at some point, if a smart shopping campaign isn't really doing well and you're kind of trying to think it through, like, should we keep limping this along? Whatever it is, like totally like try something else, like totally reorganize the products, start a new campaign, kind of see if there's a better way to group them together. Um, restart, like restart, reset the system, uh, help the machine kind of go, go into a new direction. So. Wonderful. I want to thank you guys again, Cole, Pam, and Kirk for joining me. You can find Cole's video on how to extract data from Google smart shopping campaigns on cypressnorth.com. Cole, where can people get in touch with you if they want to talk more about smart shopping? Yeah, the best place is going to be Twitter. You can, you know, you can DM me. My, I'm open for conversations. You can tag me in things. Um, my handle is at CJ Soldwish, which is a little difficult to spell. So we'll definitely include it in, in the show notes. Yes, we will. <laughs> and Pam's website is thatpamchick.com. And you can hear her podcast, Not Bad Advice, on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Pam, how can people get in touch with you? Twitter is also the best place to get in touch with me. I am at Pamela underscore Lund. Wonderful. Wonderful. And she's got some spicy takes there, reigning queen of spice. <laughs> and finally, Kirk's book, as I mentioned, Pondering is, Ponderings of a PPC Professional is available at Amazon or the Zato Marketing website. You can find his agency at zatomarketing.com and he has a smart shopping Udemy course if you want to learn more. Kirk, where can people get in touch with you? I'm PPC Kirk pretty much on all the socials. So not Discord. I'm not on Discord yet. The one and only. You got to join us. Community.marketingatalk.com. Yeah. It is now officially not marketing a talk. 
If you're looking for a digital marketing news and a lot of really bad puns, please be sure to subscribe to Marketing O'Clock. We release new episodes with Jess Budd, Greg Finn, and Mark Saltarelli every Friday in addition to these special roundtables that we're releasing every month. So thank you guys for joining me again, and we will see you next month.